0: Welcome to the HCC podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. Today, we're continuing our series that's leading towards the July 4th weekend titled Only... United will we stand. Only united will we stand. Now I gotta tell you, everybody's feeling fatigued. Everybody's feeling a loss of energy. The reason being is because so many of our experiences have been draining us recently. The whole Corona thing, unemployment, economic pressure, all of the international intrigue that's going on around us, the politics, the campaign, and the pile on top of that, all of the, the the explosion of racial tension that's occurred. It's it all of it can be very, very taxing and very tiring. That's why it's critical that the church step up and stand out at this time in order to be able to bring it together. Last week I talked about what it meant to feel fatigued through all this corona crisis, this pandemic that we've been in. I gave you practical steps to be able to engage soul recovery, personal, emotional, mental recovery, this week today God wants to continue using current events like racial tension to to leverage in order to deepen your soul to stop your soul wheels from spinning and to get a grip on growth because many people have just kind of stalled during this corona experience many people in the in the racial issue seem to disconnect, to, to lose ability to focus, or co- because it seems so overwhelming. And right now, many Christians have shifted into neutral and are just kind of coasting. I'm inviting you today to stop allowing your soul wheels to spin tractionless in your spiritual life, but drop it into drive. Come on, shift it into gear and get your soul moving again by getting a grip on your growth. And you can do that by leveraging current events to stimulate your experience with God and each other in order to deepen your understanding of what it means to be a Christian. If you haven't digested the June 10th Facebook Live video that the Wilsons and the Harrises did, and you haven't listened to my sermon from last sunday june 14th you truly won't really understand what i'm about to say today so those two things are critical pieces in order to help us move forward in our understanding of what god's doing not only in our culture and nation but wants to do in our own soul and in our church So, if you haven't engaged those things, you'll need to do that to backfill today's sermon with understanding and context. There is a tsunami of race relation information flowing in America you can't wake up in the morning or go to bed at night without engaging and dealing with this incredible tsunami of information related to race relations in America emotions are high and heightened some people are beginning to feel numb to it both of those extremes are are the wrong posture for the church to take It feels volatile, and sometimes when there's conflict and volatility, some people shut down and move away and ignore it and hope that when they stick their head in the sand, they'll just pull it out later and it'll all be over and everything's going back to normal. What we want post-pandemic and what we want post this current crisis of race in our nation is something different, a new experience, something unique. Diffuse the language take an open inviting mutually interested posture to show the world christians diffuse the language take a mutually interested posture in order to show the world how unity in diversity can be achieved let me say this directly to white people white people Of the Heritage Soul Family, I am calling you to drop the defensiveness and open yourself to racial growth regarding minorities. Black people in the Heritage Soul Family, I'm calling you to drop defensiveness and open yourself to racial growth regarding the white majority white or black we deserve mutual interest regarding each other's needs and racial experience when we want to know about each other it opens the lines of communication up so that the holy spirit can do good work this conversation on race is an opportunity to deepen the unity of the body of Christ by creating a two-way conversation that's interested in being transformed personally and culturally. And it must. this conversation must be paved with respect and love mutually. I really appreciate Emmanuel H.O. He's an uh, ex-retired NFL football player who has produced some short videos called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. I love that title. That title makes me uncomfortable just even saying it. So when I go to watch those videos, I've really appreciated much of what he's done there to open up the conversation, and I like the dialogue I'm seeing. I mean, he got Matthew McConaughey involved. He got those Magnolia people. Who are they? Chip and Joanna. Yeah, those people that are causing men to have to do work at home all the time. You know, he got those people involved in a great video. Check it out. It's in your sermon app. You can get that information. I've included the link there, and in one of them, he makes this statement that I appreciate very much. He says this in the two, about the two-way conversation that we need. He says, black people, if white people are your problem, then white people are your solution. I thought that was an amazing statement. He was saying it in a way that it's vice versa. White people, if black people are your problem, then black people are your solution, I would even expand that to say, husbands, if you think your wife is your problem, wife, you think your husband is your problem, well, then your husband or your wife are your solution as well. This is the idea of mutually invested conversation. We've got to stop being each other's problem and start being each other's solution. And the only way we can do that is paving the conversation with respect and love. Now, last week, I made clear Uh, by putting myself in great danger by even talking about the idea of white privilege and I talked about it in the context of what it means to say white privilege is actually really an idea of majority minority it's really more about numbers than anything else and I talked about that at length last week that's the nature of a majority and a minority for instance when I'm selecting a movie with my wife and daughters inevitably the majority rules and we watch some sappy romantic comedy However, as a minority, in that instance, I feel oppressed. Now, when I'm selecting a movie with my wife and my son, inevitably, majority rules, and we watch an appropriate movie like an action thriller. In that instance, my majority really enjoys that privilege. Privilege in the case of race is a similar numbers game, and America is generally related to the demographics of 70% white majority and 14% black minority. Numbers matter when it comes to privilege. Then consider in this white-black, white 76%, black 14%, this this majority-minority tension, then throw in on top of that the 357-year head start the white race had in American democracy before the black race was invited to join it. By and large, privilege is about numbers, about how much of a head start you get. And those numbers can foster some pretty ugly attitudes and pretty ugly structures. So in America, the white majority has been given much. Think about that term. The white majority has been given much. And the black minority has been given little, considering it's only been 56 years since black people have had any opportunity to engage the american democracy in any real way 56 years that's it that's all that they've had and that can develop some pretty stymied ability to be able to get yourself to a position of prosperity and health and cultural safety and sense of goodwill and good being what does the bible say about how god's people live with majority and minority realities I'm glad you asked. Let's pick up from last Sunday and look deeper at Luke 12. Luke 12. Luke 12.48 states this, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Jesus' statement here is the conclusion to where he started this entire passage in verse 41. The issue in verse 41 indicates that he's talking about stewardship. He's talking about stewardship. Bible scholar Joel Green points out that this stewardship of much is a general principle relating to any circumstance where one has the majority and the other is in the minority. So Jesus is actually addressing when you have majority privilege, what is your relationship to the minority with underprivilege. And what is your relationship as the minority underprivileged to the majority with privilege what is your relationship he speaks to the majority and says if you've been given much much will be required jesus makes the case that stewardship of time money power etc etc is a moral principle for god's people in home in temple in society at large So let's apply that stewardship principle that much and little, if you're given much, you're required much. When you're given that much, let's talk about stewarding that much in a way in relationship to minorities. In the Bible, we see that God's people at times have been the majority, and at other times, they've been the minority. So we've got to see both perspectives there. When they lived as a minority, God promised them freedom, ultimately from their oppressors, and strength while they endured the oppressiveness of just the natural consequences of what it means to be a minority. I mean, just a quick survey of Abraham's early life finds him living as a minority. The circumstances drove him to this place, and he ended up being a minority. And at times, he begged the, minor, the majority for equal treatment. God's people lived as the, as the minority in Egypt, in Canaan, in the Negev, in Gerar, in the Philistine country. God's people know what it's like. Israel knew what it was like to be a minority. In Genesis 23, Abraham begged the ruling majority for a little bit of grace, so that he could buy a burial plot for his wife, just to get some dignity. So the people of God, Israel in in particular, knows what it's like to be the minority. The people of God knew what it was like. Israel knew what it was like to be oppressed. And the Lord shows us through the life and story of Abraham and the life and story of the Old Testament how to live as a minority in various places. But when the majority, when the children of Israel were in the majority, God had some very specific things to say to them. And so we as the church can glean from what God said to Israel about how you manage or steward your majority position listen to God's instruction to the majority exodus 22:21 listen to these words you must not mistreat or oppress foreigners now That's a word that's interchangeable in Hebrew. It simply means when you're addressing the minority, you're recognizing they are in the Scripture considered foreigners, aliens. They never use the word minority because it translates better foreigner or alien. But what it means is you're the minority. You must not treat, you must not mistreat or oppress foreigners or minorities in any way remember you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt Leviticus 19:33 do not take advantage of foreigners minorities who live among you in your land treat them like native born israelites and love them as you love yourself that's a phenomenal statement treat them as native-born Israelites, as a majority. Treat them as a majority, equally. Just do that and love them as you love yourself. Remember that when you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 24, it's clear that even in punishment in the Old Testament, equality was the order of the day. Check out this passage in Leviticus. This same standard applies both to native born Israelites, the majority, and to the foreigners, the minority, who live among you. I am the Lord your God. God was always about structural, systemic equality in every way whether it's prosperity whether it's love whether it's relationship whatever it might be whether it's structural punishment consequences to civil law all of it be fair treat the minorities like you would like to be treated yourself deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 16 at that time, I instructed judges, you must hear the cases of your fellow Israelites and foreigners, minorities living among you. Be perfectly fair in your decisions. I got to tell you, I struggle with that because there's natural inherent benefits of being a majority. But to the best of our ability, as a majority, God is saying, treat everyone fairly. Deuteronomy 24. Listen to this passage. True justice must be given to foreigners. True justice. Not just lip service justice, but true justice must be given to foreigners, minorities living among you. God taught humanity through Israel how to live in the diversity of earth with the mindset of the unity of heaven as a majority. When Israel was in the majority, God was very serious about how they stewarded their majority privilege and power. Right now, you might be a little nervous thinking, because I've been talking about the people of God and the children of Israel and all that, you might be thinking, wait a second, hmm." is Steve saying that white people are the people of God and black people are foreigners? No, that's not what Steve is saying. Let me explain. Let me drive this point home. In the Old Testament, God's people were indeed a geopolitical race. They were the Israelites. That's a very specific ethnicity, that God carved out out of humanity to show the world how to live. But in the New Testament, that changed. With the advent of Jesus, God recreated His people from a geopolitical family, an exclusive family, the Israelites, into a soul family, an inclusive soul family called the church. In Jesus, all races, all genders, all ethnicities were included in the people of God equally. Listen to this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So now, you Gentiles, which is just like saying foreigners or aliens or minorities, You Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's an incredible statement. In the kingdom, in the nation of the church, you are no longer strangers, no longer foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. In that renewal, there is no longer... The renewal of God's people from being an exclusive ethnicity to being any and everyone that follows Jesus. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Galatians 3.28 There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. The cross levels all gender. All race, all ethnicity, all socioeconomic classism, it levels everything in the nation of the church. And the church, as the people of God, are to show the people of the world how unity happens. And that's why it's so critical, church, that we step up and stand out during this time of cultural crisis. Because whenever there's a cultural crisis... It's got to be the church that stands up and models what it means to have diversity in earth and unity in heaven. So now, in the people of God, the church, there is no majority, there is no minority. In the kingdom of God, all souls are the same color and the same status. However, with the unity of heaven in mind, we still live with the diversity and the disparity of earth. This side of heaven, there will be majorities and there will be minorities and there will be some who have more privilege than others simply because of demographics and numbers. So how should we then live in a context of brokenness? Do you recall in your U.S. history that America was considered the new world. In fact, we're getting ready to celebrate in, uh, in a couple weekends the Independence Day, the, 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 the July 4th weekend where we celebrate the new world. And in fact, when you consider the rest of the world, America is relatively new still today. That new world was imagined by those who founded this nation to be a nation whose king was God. They came here from England to have their own king. And who was that to be? God, the God of the Bible. Consider these quotes from American founders. Let me just read these to you. Before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must be considered a subject of the governor of the universe. James Madison, while we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian, George Washington To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political and social happiness, which mankind now enjoys. To Christianity, we owe that. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present republican forms of government and all blessings which flow from them must fall with them. Jedidiah Morse. Goodness. The founders of America wanted a nation governed in an entirely new way. It would be a government beholden to its people, not beholden, not people beholden to the government. A government beholden to its people, not people beholden to a government. With only God and His Bible as America's authority. America was to be the new people of God, carrying on the cultural mandate of Genesis 1:26 through 28. By reestablishing the new Garden of Eden in the new world, America was to be one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Well, just by reading those quotes, you know that this experiment hasn't been perfect. I mean, many of those people who I read quotes of had slaves. How can you be a Christian and own people? It's it's such an odd kind of paradox and situation. And currently, America is at a point not, I'd say, one nation, not necessarily under God, And it seems more divisible than it seems indivisible and a good bit limited in its justice and liberty for all. But I've got hope, and I hope you do too. You know where my hope is? My hope is not in the government. My, My hope is not in any other organization out there for social change. That's not my hope. I'm not putting my hope in any philanthropic companies or corporations. I'm not putting my hope in any organizations except the church. The church is the only organization that I have hope. If the church can recover its destiny as the new people of God, this nation and world will have an earthly example of the heavenly vision where there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, there is no longer black or white or brown or rich or poor, but where all are one in Christ. Yes, of course, we live in a broken world. We will have majorities in numbers and minorities in numbers. Yes, that's a reality. This side of heaven But the kingdom of God has a model. It's the model of the church. It's the model of the nation of the church. And that model is to be the model of the American society. Diversity with unity. We've got to get there. And the only way we're really going to get there is if the church starts leading effectively. And then we'll have an america that's founded on a nation that's truly under god the majority will not oppress any minority in any way because god forbids it and all of god's people no matter black white or brown would never think about oppressing anyone that's in a disadvantaged situation because doing so would indicate that you may not be a christian You see, the gracious majority disposition of the Old Testament people of God, the people of Israel, is to be our guidelines, our structure, our attitude, our disposition of social culture. we must recognize that when we take on in America the disposition of how God calls the people of Him, the people of God to live and to move, then America, no matter who the majority is, no matter matter black or white or brown, no matter who the majority ever is, if we can get ourselves to a disposition of how God calls His people to live and act, No matter if you're majority or minority, if we can live in that way, that soul disposition, then we will have a society where truly all races are all precious in God's sight. To be the America, as the founders saw it, our society must reflect the unity of heaven in the diversity of earth, no matter what race, is the majority. Only united will we stand. Currently, white people are the majority. With a lot of privileges related to that majority status. According to the Bible, and one nation under the God of the Bible, it is incumbent on white people to be very interested in blessing the minority as if they were their own children. It's critical that the majority, as God teaches any majority, to be benevolent and caring and interested on equity and fairness in every possible way. That's incumbent on the majority. This will right any injustice and reform any systemic form of oppression. We can do this. We, the church, the people of God, showing the unity of heaven to the world of of division can set the tone and the example and you, the people of God, need to step up and make sure that's real. That kind of earthly society most resembles the heavenly society called for by the God of the Bible. This is why the white majority should be very interested in minority concerns. Because if America is really going to be the new world under the king of the Bible, and white people happen to be in the majority, then white people should be highly interested and invested in making sure that as God called the majorities in the Bible to do Treat everyone fairly and equitably as possible. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles, males and females, brown, black, and white, into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. People of God, the church, white Christians, black Christians, brown Christians, we have got to recognize that our common bond is in the key of the cross that breaks down every barrier of hostility between us. And we've got to come to that table bearing the cross of Jesus that seeks the unity of the whole. My hope is that all of us, brown, black, or white, we will all become as precious in each other's sight as in our Father's sight. Well, my goodness, it's Father's Day. I say we turn our attention After, of course, we load our earthly fathers up with all kinds of gifts and all kinds of presents and all kinds of love. I'm speaking particularly to my children. After we do that, we need to make sure we turn our attention to our Heavenly Father. And as we turn our attention towards our Heavenly Father, He will be blessed by our equitable, by our mutually loving, interested seeking reconciliation, reform, justice, fairness. He will be blessed by our disposition in that way. You know, I I will never, ever know what it's like to be a black person in America. I'll never know. And black people will never know what it's like to be a white person in America. But I'm hoping that this series will move the racial reconciliation ball down the field inside the church and then leverage the unity inside our church to help move the racial reconciliation ball down the field outside our church. The church is called to be a cultural change agent. The church is called to be a cultural change. Change agent. If you're in the church, you're called to be a cultural change agent. Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't shrink or shy away. Join Jesus in stepping up and standing out at this time in every way you can. For that to happen, white and black folks have to be interested in opening up a mutual dialogue where white people are interested in what it's like being black in america and black people are equally interested in what it's like being a white person in america majority or minority here's the question here's the question to ask if you care about unity inside the church Asking this question is how you can be a part of the solution, not the problem. When you're talking to a person of another race, ask. How are you coping with all this racial tension? And after they vent a bit, then ask, how can I help change your world? Then just keep asking that question. And as you do, You'll become part of the solution, not the problem. On June 24th, this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m., I'm going to host a live Facebook session with one of our black leaders in our church and have a really frank discussion about all this racial tension. Get down in the weeds, get in the nitty gritty, talk about all the things you're likely wondering about in your mind right now. I really believe that if we can get real honest lines of communication open between races inside the church, the unity we experience on the inside will spill over to the outside. The first step, though, is openness to the conversation. Because, goodness gracious, the media on every side is polarizing people for ratings' sake. You can't turn the television on without everybody trying to capture ratings, capitalizing on this situation. We have got to disconnect from the media and connect to the Messiah if we're ever gonna get clear-souled on this issue. Jesus prayed that his soul family would be one. Let's make our Father happy on Father's Day as we embark on this ambitious path of only united will we stand. Well, church, it's time to respond. It's time to respond and it's time for you to stand wherever you are if you're able. Hey, you, sitting down. Yeah, you. Come on, stand up. Come on. Get out of the lazy boy, get out of the lazy girl seat, whatever. Let's let's stand up. And in standing up, let's plan on stepping out into this racial issue, bearing the love and disposition and attitude of Jesus. And as we do, we will experience the joy and the blessing of God, not only on our church, but also in our nation. The church must lead the way. And you are the church. We're going to take time to sing just one song here. And if you're watching other than Sunday, I want to encourage you to participate in this response song. Don't just disconnect, but sing along and participate in this response song. I want to encourage you that are responding right now by standing and singing to go into prayer. If, if you want to kneel, that's the only other appropriate stance right now is to get on your knees and if you feel like you need to do that to humble yourself before God, then you do that as well. We're going to sing a song and if, and if you want to post a prayer request on our website, you can do so. Otherwise, you can actually have a private time of prayer with one of our prayer counselors, one of our spiritual response team members. You can do this right now by slipping offline, going to another page, another tab, another platform, another device, and going into our Zoom altar experience. You can do that right now. So you can go to the Zoom link that's on the screen in front of you if you'd like to, but don't disconnect right now. Don't think it's all over. Don't disconnect. Don't leave just yet because after we sing this one song, we're going to come back. We're going to share our benediction together and then you'll be released to go into the virtual lobby and enjoy each other's company for a few moments. But right now, Let's take a moment and sing this song and lift it up to the Lord that we would be able to be the people of God united. Only united will we stand. He is our refuge. Like the morning breeze And nothing stands I will hold on to your head Rest. to your head. Pray. Heritage Community Church, this is your opportunity to respond. Not just in spiritual response, but also in action. I am establishing a racial reconciliation and reform team. If you're out there and you're saying, I'm passionate about this subject. I want to know more. I want to do more than I I am right now. And I want to be engaged in being a part of the solution, not the problem. Whether you're white, black, brown, any race at all, if you'd like to be a part of that racial reconciliation and reform team, I want to encourage you to please reach out to me and let me know that you would like to do that. We're going to join together in saying our benediction this morning, and we're going to make sure that as we unite ourselves around this thought, that it is exactly what the Lord has called us to. Let's say this together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Heritage Soul Family, I love you. We greater than me. God bless you. Have a fabulous Father's Day.